In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, you climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Magic Hour here at the Forum Club, here at the Athletic LA. I always—it's a lot to unpack, Andy, and I—I I, and I, every I'm week always you seem to struggle with it. Well, because I'm always worrying and forget something. It's—it's it's, you know because there's channels within channels within channels. I'm going to give you the Russian same destiny. advice I give you every week. Just write it down. I do. I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh wow, well, man! You know that's so that's really it. bad. That's um, really bad. As most people, I don't have to take reading lessons from you, buddy. Not very good at the cold read, but that's okay. Um, as most people know by now, Same we have a cold con- read for you, man. <laughs> as most people know by now, we've converted the Lakers podcast into a uh, sports movie podcast because there's only so much Lakers news to go around. So we let Orem and uh, Dawson handle the the big heavy lifting on that end. Really excited this week to welcome Wozni Lambre to the show. The movie we're talking about, High Flying Bird, Woz, it is topical it is a yeah. big you know big basketball kind of thing i had not seen this movie but this was your suggestion and thank you for making it uh andy and i were had neither one of us i think had seen it no i hadn't seen it either yeah so i you know i'm a huge soderbergh fan to begin with like um he sort of speaks my language in movies like there generally is a lack of sentimentality or just like it's not you you rarely hear like soaring Steven Spielberg music mm-hmm. or scores in his movies. It's always really slick, cool, and a little bit cold, right? Yeah. Um, usually, but this movie actually has some sentimentality in it, like as it pertains to the sport and culture of basketball, which I just found very heartwarming as a hoops fanatic myself, right? Like it's interesting. And one of the things that I noted as I'm rewatching it to talk to you guys about it today was like how unsentimental they treated the topic of sex as compared to the game. Oh, capital my God. G, yeah. Capital G. Right. Like I was just like, that's so interesting to me. Like, that's not something you would see in a movie. Like they treated the only sex in the movie as it was the most inconsequential thing a well, person I, could do. We're going to get into this at some <laughs> point because I actually think, I mean, it's a, I guess a small part of the overall movie, but a big part of it for one particular character. I actually think it's very particular for this character's future, but we will get into that. Yeah. Um, the basic gist of the movie, it, it takes place during a, a basketball lockout. They don't, say it's the NBA, probably because they can't say it's the NBA, uh, but it takes place, it's a, it's a pro basketball lockout, and uh, a, an agent played by Andre Holland named Ray Burke is kind of caught between the players and the players union and the owners. And he, he is, like everyone else, trying to get 
his guys back on the floor. Everybody needs to start making money again. Everybody needs to play. But throughout the process, he is trying to teach his major client that there's more to this as a basketball player than just getting on the floor to play basketball. And it's, I saw an interesting thing about this, you know, kind of reading reviews and other things as well, where, you know, because we all know from all the Oceans movies, Soderbergh likes heist films. Right. <laughs> and in, in some ways, this kind of plays it out is, it's a yeah. as a heist film. <laughs> yep. You you see what uh, Ray does, you know, again, played by Andre Holland, to get the basketball back on the floor. And it's 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 pretty clever. He uh, creates a scheme. Yeah, yep. there are some there are some I thought some kind of some holes in it. And I want to sure. get into that in a second. But just to kind of review it, there are a lot of people in this movie as we kind of go through the lineup talking about who's in it. And it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. That's a thing. It's written by uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, Alvin McCraney, who won Best Adapted Screenplay for Moonlight. Uh, he's a, in a, you know, was nominated and I think won an Independent Spirit Award for this, for High Flying Bird. Uh, he's a noted playwright. The guy is a prolific writer and very, very talented. This movie, the writing in this movie is something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he worked, obviously, with Andre Holland, who brought him actually to Soderbergh. And wow. he, he recommended him for the movie. So you, you Apparently, they, they're like, a, like Andre Holland has worth, worked with McCraney in, on stage plays, too. Like they yeah, just well, they, work they together all go on back everything. To, they all go back to Florida State, including mm. Barry Jenkins, wow. the director of Moonlight. And like, I don't know how much they intersected as students at Florida State. But and I actually tried to find out, and I just through the research couldn't land on it. But I do know that they were all Andre Holland, Barry Jenkins, and, and uh, McCraney. They were all at Florida State right around the same time, and I, I think both McCraney and Jenkins were from Florida because, like a lot of moon, a lot of Moonlight was, I think, yeah. brought it's parts based, of it's both of their to be lives. About, like I think Carroll City in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, there's like at least semi-autobiographical elements for both of those guys. At least we know that Florida State can produce good things when the football team still sucks. I mean, like uh, <laughs> I had no idea that they could do anything useful except football. Uh, shouts to Charlie Ward, man. <laughs> That's true. No, but that was a long time. Charlie Ward is a long time yeah, ago, Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. That it's was... a step above, uh, Brian, my, my long-running theory about Clemson. Yes. Um, I, was, I, I have a theory about Clemson. I don't think it's an actual school. Right. I think it's a front for foot to basically produce football and basketball. And it's otherwise just like a Truman show type setup. Because have you ever met anybody who went okay. to Clemson? I met, I know one person who went there and he played football. There. Thank <laughs> you. No, but they, they don't count. <laughs> Under Andrew's theory, theory. You, have to, you have to know like, uh, like a language arts major. Like, have you ever never, met right. anybody who went to Clemson or even heard of anybody no, who went to Clemson no, that didn't play not. sports? No. And, that, and the funny thing is, so I went to a high school that was pretty big, right? Like 2,700 kids. And so I graduated with like 700 kids. And kids were going all over the place. Like there was UM, 
like University of Michigan and University of Miami, Florida State, as you mentioned, um, Stanford, all of the, the big crazy schools that you might hear about that kids who are like, you know, really academically rigorous might try to go to. But no, I've never heard anybody. Penn State comes to I'm mind. Ser- I, I'm I've never ser- heard anybody say okay. anything about Clemson. I have never <laughs> met a human being who says that they went to Clemson that wasn't like, you know, a basketball player or a football player, like, you know, Horace Grant, like he played basketball there. I don't know anybody who actually just went there to study. I love this theory. Like I, I, Somebody's got to prove him wrong. Thus far, nobody's been able to prove him wrong. Like, oh, my girlfriend went to Clemson and got her JD there or something. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody <laughs> no, nobody's. It hasn't happened that. yet. So until it happens, uh, I'm, I actually think that Andy has a lot of really stupid ideas. Um, mm. He had a whole system set up for a, an indoor misting uh, product that would really just make your house super moldy. <laughs> I still think it's workable. It's not. It's not workable. Um, the only way it works is if you cover your house in plastic, and that just seems it just seems easier to go outside and mist. But right. this one, I but the think name is of the a good company, one. though the name of the company, the was name of the company is fantastic, Mister Mister. <laughs> But again, That's the name of the company. Good. That's very good. It, but it works was just as well outside. Your outdoor misting company can also be Mr. Mister. Mister. Yes. Um, other other people in this movie. Uh, Melvin Gregg plays Eric Scott, the uh, built legendary Bill Duke as Spence. Who every He's time so I see uh, Bill Duke in anything, I'm always like, Hey, John Cheney's in a movie. He's so um, good at this <laughs> in this movie. He's yeah. always fantastic. Uh, Sonny Stone, who I love, uh, people remember from The Wire, uh, and Zazie Beetz, who is in everything now. And yeah, is, she's she's exploded. Yeah, she's in The Joker. She's in Atlanta. And uh, what's the uh, the other superhero movie she's in? Oh, she uh, was in Deadpool D- Deadpool, too. right. And it is really difficult to watch in anything without kind of developing a crush on her. Yeah, uh, it's, it's impossible. It's really hard. <laughs> um, so... That's your cast. And so there's a lot of talent in here for kind of a low-key, lo-fi movie. Again, it was filmed on an iPhone, and you can you can kind of tell, but it's filmed like Soderbergh style. Like you said, was filming on an iPhone fits Soderbergh. I don't even think it's not the first time he's done that. I think no, I times. think this is the first. I think it's this is actually it's, the, it's the is second. Is this the second time he Yeah, did he did yeah. a movie called Unsane that was okay. also on an iPhone. Yeah, but so like, and that was a big part of the marketing. Yeah, at be like the the little bit that there was of this movie. It was like, yeah, he's really, um, he's really being experimental, and um, he's trying new things, and you know, like everybody was into this whole like you can be mobile. They shot this thing in like I think it was shot in like forty days or something ridiculous wow. like that. Like, oh, I think it was actually less, less than that, right? <laughs> it, it's like, the craziest thing that I read about this movie is three hours after it wrapped, he had already done his first draft. Like, he, I mean, his first edit. He had wow. already gotten the first edit done three hours after principal photography. Like, that's just insane. He had to have been kind of going as He was doing it, yeah, right? as he's going he along, he's doing it. And he's showing people their dailies on, his, on the iPhone at the bar after... He's each, gotta be. Each day. Like, I it's mean, I crazy. realize it's Steven Soderbergh. It's not his first day, but he's... There's well, no you know way what, though? Right. Here's the thing. Here's where I think it's actually believable that he could have done it that quickly. There's not a lot of tightening shots. Like, it's not a technically complicated movie. And, you know, there, there's not a lot of, like, establishing shots that you would move no, around right. or things like that. Like, I imagine there was a lot of what you see is what you get. 
So there's, it's probably starts becoming a matter of what takes that you like. Yeah, it's probably true. I mean, it's all right. So like, what else in trying, I'm trying to think of like other things. We always like to go through the context that it's released in. So in terms of like the people, you know, I think that we, we kind of covered that. Like the context is interesting. We're, we're past labor strife, traditional yeah. labor strife in the NBA at least was, but in theory, kind of entering this sort of weird area where if, if it doesn't matter right now, like I don't think the NBA is going to, and the players are going to argue their way out of the rest of this potential season in the way that it looks like baseball might somehow like the money could get in the way or whatever it is. But this is like what happens this year is going to impact what happens going on down the road in terms of the season following. There's more than one thing that's going to have to be worked out. So in that sense, we're thinking about collective bargaining again and the role of the athlete and the power that they have. So it's pretty timely in that regard. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for me is everybody's recognition. And by everybody, I mean both the players, the owners, and the fans to, you know, some of the fans' chagrin. Everybody's recognition of the players, particularly the superstar players, being equal partners in this Mm -hmm. thing. Like the quote-unquote power of the players. I think that's what this movie's kind of about, right? right? It's about who does this game actually belong to? And why does it belong to them, right? Like, Like, that's what... Um, Andre Holland's character is trying to show his client throughout the movie. It's like, yo, like you're more important to this whole enterprise and this whole culture than you think. It's like you guys said to start, like it's beyond what you actually do when you're putting a ball through a hoop. Like you're influential. Well, who um, does it belong to and who should it belong to? Right. Because those exactly. may end up very different questions. Yeah. And it's something that I want, as we go on, I want to dive into because it's, when we get into the authenticity of it, it's a it's an interesting that it's specifically related to the NBA is a really interesting thing that I want to I want to get into. I want, but well, it's, it's also really quick, Brian. Just I yeah, think sure. it's interesting watching this movie right now. It, it was released in 2019, so you know it's not particularly long ago. It's interesting to be watching this in a pandemic. Yeah, you know, as as we're waiting right. for you know things to open up, including the NBA. Just because Soderbergh directed Contagion, and right. he, you know he he's been getting a lot of questions both on his perspective on pandemics because he researched a lot of stuff. You know him and the uh, screenwriter, I think his name is Scott Burns, for that movie, which came out almost ten years ago. But also he's been getting asked a lot about what it would take to open things up. He's been on this DGA right. committee about getting the system back to work and. You know, I mean, like he actually, I think, would be an interesting person to get their perspective, not because directing Contagion necessarily makes him an expert on this, but just he's really creative in making movies and finding workarounds. And like whether you're talking about the, you know, Hollywood or the NBA or whatever, as we open up, everybody's going to be having to look for flexibility and workarounds. Like everybody's going to have to be thinking outside the box. And that's basically what Soderbergh's done. In his like they may have career. to shoot the rest of the NBA season on an iPhone. Like that, that could <laughs> Yo, happen. Oh man, hey, as, as the, my iPhone X Pro, man, is pretty freaking good. So it, is. it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the worst thing that happened. And another thing that I want to say about baseball and the NBA, um, as how they relate to each other, is I think 
the NBA and its relationship to the union has never been better because everybody got really rich at the same mm-hmm. time right now. Like this new influx of money where, again, Dame Lillard is a beautiful player, great player. Um, nobody would call him the best at his position and certainly obviously would call him the best in the NBA. He's right now on a $240 million contract, right? Like this is like this is this is life-altering money that is unprecedented in the game. And I think, you know, because everybody's been made so rich by this partnership, there's just a general like happiness there. Mm-hmm. And I think the owners kind of collectively understand that these guys are powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've they've begrudgingly like accepted how how much influence these guys can actually wield, especially because one freaking NBA guy can change your life. Let's 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 reverse these because let's just stay on this because and we'll get into performances and stuff like that later because there, there's a lot of stuff going on performance wise that's worth talking about. Um, I I wonder and tell me what you guys think. This was one of those movies where. I wonder if working in the league in the way that we do, like around the league and writing about it and being like, we we were intensely into the lockout the last time it happened in ways that like normal yeah. people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> and like we are intensely into, you know, the 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 dynamic the player owner dynamic and the the influence that LeBron has and you know, Chris Paul and like all, just up and down the line and rookies coming into all these dudes. And so as I'm watching this, I have to kind of try to keep reminding myself to see the forest for the trees because there are certain things about the way the plot lays out where I'm going like, yeah, no, that's not like, that's not how that would work. Like two rookies threatening to kind of sort of play like a, like a pickup game or something like that is not going to end the lockout. No. And we know that because. They kind of did that, like in the in the last lockout. We're going to start a barnstorming tour, and we're just put all the or guys all, together, or all the attention that Kobe and LeBron and Durant got for showing up at the Drew League, or right. the, the attention the Drew League got blowing up, and you know the Drew League and the Goodman and all these different things involving NBA players. It it created an urgency, I think, among fans and the owners and the players themselves to get back on the court and reminded like what could be lost. Right. But it didn't, but, but it that didn't change right. the business no, dynamics. No. The, of the, the, the notion of a barnstorming tour is not what got the NBA owners right. to eventually but, agree to terms. But at the same time, the NBA players more, I think, than any other sport, I don't think it's even close in terms of American sports at least, have learned about and learned to exercise their influence in the ways that that Ray is trying to get players to yeah. do. And, and in, to make sure it's film. clear, make sure it's clear if, for anybody who either hasn't seen it or has uh, forgotten what ends up happening that really moves things forward. And it's uh, like we were talking about the, the heist of sorts, the scheme that Ray creates. He manufactures this moment between Eric Scott and another uh, incoming rookie, both very hyped where they they have social media beef and they end up at the same charity event and they end up playing one-on-one and bits of this end up on social media. It draws 24, 24 million, million views, right? 24 million views, which create, and there's talk of more games like these, come more events really like these coming. And that's something that really starts putting in motion over a 72-hour period. Hey, let's let's get the league going again. Right. 
Yeah, and I think the I think what the film is also trying to say is that the players have something. They're the ones bringing something to the equation that isn't replicable. Mm-hmm. Like the owners have capital and nothing else, right? Like they bring nothing else to the table. And what um, Ray is trying to say is like, there's capital elsewhere, right? Like if capital is what is what ails us. We can figure out capital elsewhere. It's about explaining to the ownership class, like, we don't actually need you. Right now, it's a relationship of mutual, it's mutually beneficial until it's not. And, like, honestly, you guys aren't the only people with, quote, unquote, money. That's the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, the concept of getting Hulu or Netflix on the phone or whoever. It's like, guys, we get money. You know, right. and it's, and I think that's what he's trying to say. But you wouldn't necessarily, here's the thing, you wouldn't necessarily have the same money right away. No. Because ultimately everyone goes back to the league. So it's like, you could eventually well, the same go, way you go. You go to Nike, you go to right. whatever. Like I want to start my own shoe company, but eventually I end up at Nike. Right. You could go the indie label route, so to speak, but are you willing to lose the immediate money? For the sake right. of what could be, if not equal money down the road, that you have more ownership of, bigger money. But you have to be willing to at least risk that sacrifice in the beginning, and nobody ever does for reasons that are understandable. Well, particularly when the money is so good. I mean, it's like yeah. you're, right. you're, you know, would they do it in the you know the women's it, it professional seems soccer impossible league? Impossible that, that they would do yeah. that right now as an NBA. Like as no. I just mentioned, like. We're guys, we're role players are getting $14, 15000000 million a year. Right. Like, it just seems absolutely impossible to imagine a scenario where they would just, you know, willingly walk away. And, you know, this movie is so fascinating to me on so many levels, especially as I rewatch it now. Um, the player, the rookie player, Ray's, Ray's um, client, Eric Scott, Eric Scott. Eric Scott um, you know, he's obviously living check to check, doesn't have a lot of money. And the funny thing is, now that we're going through this COVID situation, and you see guys like Tillman Fertitta going mm-hmm. to the White House, like, bro, I need to start getting checked soon. It's like, it's so interesting what COVID has done. And not just in the NBA, just our power and money class in general. Like, I think of something like the airlines, where it's like one month into this, you people who make billions of dollars in profit. Can't withstand one month. Well, that, yeah. one that's, month? that's what's interesting just about everything about the way our sort of society <laughs> works. You know, it's like you're right. It's how healthy is an economy where even the billionaires can't. I mean, they can. But like, you know, there are people who make hundreds of thousands, you know, a few hundred thousand a year. But they're not liquid or they don't save. Right. they don't have like it's dependent on. Yeah, but I got to keep going to work. All of a sudden I lose my job. And so. You know, there is a a sort of we know democratization. A lot of, you of, see a of, lot of wealthy people yeah. that continue to work. Like you know, you there there are movie stars who've done how many twenty million dollar right. films right. and yet keep doing some some that are like really bad. Where you're like, my God, do you need the paycheck that badly? <laughs> yeah. The answer is clearly yes. Well, yeah. no, like no it's, the, the answer is not necessarily because I need to. It's because somebody's going to give me fifteen million to do something to show up, right? right. I mean, sure, okay. But at, the same, but at the same time, though, you can see where some of these guys, though, they're above doing something like that. They could they could find a ten million dollar movie, a seven million dollar, well, and they're like, already so wealthy. Like you want Nicolas Cage, his lifestyle is what man. led him to do 
the most right. of the movies over the second half of his career. It's purely lifestyle. Right, but there are other, I, I, and I say this all the time, was it's like, so what's ten million dollars to this guy who's already got three hundred? Well, it's ten million dollars. That's million. what it is. And wait, we what I what I think is fascinating about the movie and why I think it was it was important for me to like kind of separate myself from how a person who doesn't work around sports would think about it. Because I think these issues would be, they wouldn't be sitting there nitpicking about how this would be, how an actual lockout works. They would be thinking about the bigger issues. And so that's what I was trying to do. It, so much of the discussion now that we have is about those larger abs issues that you were talking about. It's, it's capital versus labor. It's, you know, understanding yep. that owners, and I, I'm not one of these people who doesn't, I, I mean, I, I don't care that billionaires exist. I care that the rules that allow billionaires exist are fair and equitable to everyone so that everyone theoretically can become one. It's not that way, but that's my objection to it or whatever. But we look at it now and we say, well, owners, do they need public subsidies for stadiums? Well, no, it's a terrible deal for taxpayers. <laughs> study after study after study shows that. Shows it, right. You know, and so like, you know, we think of these sort of the conceptually billionaires versus millionaires versus normal people, whatever, and the NBA and athletes and whatever almost become like a proxy for these larger discussions that we're having. That's sort of the evolution as I see it, at least on Twitter, uh, whenever labor stuff comes up. I mean, that would make me happy, but I don't think we're there yet, right? Like, me, I'm somebody who actually worked in a union when I was in my um, early 20s. Back when I was in college, I worked at UPS. I was in the Teamsters Union, which, you know, we were always proud to say one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful union ever. Nice. Right? right? Um, but, you know, like, so I tend to view everything through that prism because mm -hmm. of that's what my experience was, right? And, you know, everybody has whatever their conception is of a union and the point of it. To me, the point of it was that every single guy who had a job got treated with some type of respect and yep. dignity. That's it. Right. Like, that's it. Like, they can't just come to you and fire you. They can't just tell you to stay later than you have to. They have, like, you have a say in this environment here, in this work environment, just because, you know, just because you draw a check here doesn't mean that you're some piss on. Right. So how much, how much did your experience there, like, how much do you relate the message that Ray is giving? I'm a member of a union, but it's, it's a, I mean, SAG after it, but it's, it's a, it feels different. Like it's just, I, I'm not. It's, it's different. It, it is, is a different. bit different. But um, no, the message like, that he's sending. Yeah, do you feel that like, does it down apply on the docks. To, right? Does it? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> does it apply? Does this? Does the messaging? Do it's you different feel than like apply? a longshoreman union. Yeah, it's not. The it just same. feels it's different. just not this. I love my union. I pay my dues right on time. The healthcare is fantastic. Um, <laughs> right. It really is. I, I, I'm a big fan, but it's different. Like it's a very sprawled out union. Do you feel that? same lesson the same messaging that ray is trying to deliver to eric also applies to the teamsters also applies to the plumbers yeah, union 100 percent, 100 percent. the 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 honestly the message is always the same thing it's like you know the ups corporation if they didn't need you they wouldn't have you here so you need to constantly remind yourself that you actually are needed mm -hmm. in this process and you bring value to this process. And so therefore, you should be treated with some level of respect. That's basically the long and the short of it. It's like you have a value no matter. And, you know, individually, it might not feel that way. 
But that's the point of unionizing, right? It's so that you don't feel like you're this one person up against this billion dollar entity, right? Like that's the entire message that collectively these guys can't beat you. They can't go out and find better um, basketball players for these people to watch and um, to fill up these stands and get these TV rights and do all of these things that help them line their pockets. And, you know, for me, Again, like this movie is not like, oh, I don't put my union hat on when I'm watching this movie. Honestly, it's um They gave you a hat? I didn't get a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten anything I, from SAG other than my I got, DVDs. I got my I got, I got a card. For those. I got my card and my health insurance. Yeah. Honestly, this movie, uh, what I think about, and it's something that comes up every now and again, is about this black ass league and this white ass ownership group. It's so crazy. Like, um, the, the another thing that why I wanted to watch this movie again is because it felt like Soderbergh was paying homage to Spike Lee, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a yes. New York centric movie, yes, about a really black topic, and all of the stuff is subtext. Like when he when um Bill Duke talks about the old league that they had and why they let it go. The game on top of the game. The game on the he was like they built the game on top of the game, right? Like it's all subtext. Like they're not hammering you over the head but it's like these black dudes have this thing and it's been commodified by these white people in this country in america with this very complicated history right (laughs) between there's a great line ray has that wasn't necessarily about this but it could still be applied the smallest shift in the system everything gets fucked up right and you know he's talking about you know the league ecosystem but that's what you're talking about as well was like the idea of they had this league, the NBA, you know, 70 years ago that they didn't need to integrate. And then there was that threat from the Harlem Globetrotters that was going to end up a bigger attraction. Right. So they found themselves forced to bring in black players, you know, at, at, uh, at a higher population for this league because it was the way for the league to survive. And that was the shift in that one system. And it, you know, for for those owners of the league in the moment, it fucked things up. Right. And and again, that's for me watching this movie, of course, like I love the dialogue and I think it's Mm -hmm. strictly done. And because I'm a native New Yorker and I live here in Los Angeles now, I feel very nostalgic um, for New York, all of these shots in lower Manhattan and all of that. I'm just like, wow, like I literally feel transported back to the apple. But for me. Um, Brian, that's the main thrust of the movie, right? It's like what it means to be a black athlete. And, you know, and and it all comes full circle for me. We're watching the Michael Jordan doc and we spent days talking about, you know, Mike's um, not, not being a political person. Right. Like him just completely eschewing that as a concept, as an idea, as an undertaking. And like, you know, on the on the one hand, as a black dude. As I told DA on our podcast, I said, I would love to see Mike burn a freaking flag. I would love it, right? Like, I would love to see that personally. But on the other hand, like, I feel conflicted because, again, nobody ever asked Wayne Gretzky what he thinks about politics. Like, ever. Ever. It's never crossed anybody's mind. Right. Or Larry Bird or or Tom Brady or even Tom Brady, even when he's overtly political, puts a MAGA hat in his freaking locker, people avoid the subject. He gives some pat answer and we completely move on. Nobody even thinks about it. Like, so I'm always conflicted about the topic of 
how politically minded black athletes need to be. And, and I want to give quickly uh, just a plug for a piece that you wrote that's on yeah, The Athletic a couple weeks ago. It's a really good piece about Thank this you. with Michael Jordan. So seek that out over The Athletic. Um, and it's what's what's interesting, too, though, is that, like I, I, I really got into the 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 story kind of along those lines, not just of the athletes and the athletes power, because that is something that I think is very topical, particularly within the NBA. And you see the way that guys flex and like the way they're flexing with networks. You want to you want to do business with Kevin Durant. You use Kevin Durant's production company to make, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the executive the boardroom yeah, with, that they were doing with like that's done with KD's company. Like, and you, you don't want to do it. Fine. We'll go somewhere else. Like all of those things. And it, right now it's, you know, it's the most elite players, but you're starting to see that trickle down too to role guys and like the popularity of Matt Barnes's podcast. And like yep. guys are yep. getting out there and, and doing stuff on their own and messaging. Not all of them have the same influence, but not all of us outside. What I thought was fascinating too was watching Ray move between the worlds where he's going with to, you know, the, the, the street ball, his guy's a street ball guy, Eric Scott, and he goes to, uh, his, you know, the old school Spence and the gym there. And then he goes to Sonia Sohn, who's, you know, also black, but it's a different thing. It's like a corporate kind of, right. you know, and, and she's like the Michelle she, Roberts of this movie. Right. Correct. Yes. And then the heavy also, drinking Michelle Roberts. Yes. <laughs> seems very over it. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I'm very confident that Michelle Roberts has never gone to a meeting Having had so many drinks if Michelle Roberts woke up every day and said, I'm tired of this shit, she would be Sonia Sohn in this movie. Right. But then <laughs> but then also, like, you know, it's a scene with Kyle McLaughlin in the in the sauna. Like he plays an owner. Who plays an owner of the the New York team, uh, mm. who's not the Knicks. It's not the Knicks, it's the New York team. Okay, I have York a point team. to make about the right. Knicks at some point, but continue. He moves around all of these worlds. And as a white guy, <laughs> it's not something that I have to do. I mean, I, there are moments where I find myself as a distinct minority in uh, in in, any, in a situation, but they a are rare and b are rarely related to business. Right. Um, and so right. that's that experience and the way he does that, I thought was a fascinating part of the character in the movie. That's all I have to yeah, say about it. there's no question. Yeah, no, there. yeah, that's, no, that's, no, no, yeah. no, yeah, and 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 I think the, the I, I love the way this character is written because again, like there's a like this person is a the character is very sentimental. Like he has he feels a duty to educate his <laughs> client right about his role in all of this. He feels a duty in making sure he has money in his pocket. He feels a duty to the game, right? Like he feels a duty to all of these things, but he knows like there's, um, he has to play certain games with people for lack of a better word. Like, and that's part of it. I love his, his clearness and vision in that. Like I have to play people. That's the only yeah. way to get stuff done. It's well, incredible. You saw like the scene where he takes down Zachary at the end after the scheme is done and Zachary Quinto, who play you know, Spock, who plays his <laughs> boss, yes. uh, essentially. And he's yep. like, okay. And he kind of figures, he's, he starts the scene out by yelling at Ray, like, you screwed this up. You almost lost us our client. You almost did this. You almost, and he just ticks off each box, like 
but I didn't lose the client. I also solved the lockout. Yeah, I lost an assistant, but she was gone anyway. And now, and like I saved all this. Now you still want to go upstairs and report me? You want to, you know, get me in trouble? And by the way, you're in my chair. Like I have outdone you now. You need <laughs> to get out of my chair. And he sees, and I don't think it, it's it's not a question of, you know, his boss is like overtly racist because I don't think I don't think there's any indication that he is or like a bad guy. But like some of these things just don't occur to him. And like the machinations and the next level thinking and all these things that the, the, the level at which Ray is able to see things, including coming after his job to elevate himself higher in the company. Well, it's just, just something the guy doesn't see coming. It's just how urgent is it to you in reality as a person? It's like, you know, what's going on with the NFL right now and, you know, that resolution that was going to get voted on and and ended up getting pulled where you would have teams incentivized with greater draft position if they would hire more minority candidates, whether you're talking about uh, coaching ranks, front office, whatever. and We'll pay you to hire a minority. This was rightly seen as attempting to bribe teams to bring in more minorities, the real issue isn't how you solve this. Like the real issue isn't like the perfect solution, whether the Rooney rule, which has by now just become a farce, or some other cockamamie resolution. The problem is the league doesn't inherently care. Because if they inherently cared, this is not actually that difficult to solve. I mean, you just start looking for more people. You start wanting more people. You make people... You want you have to make people it, take the process seriously. Well, well, you also have to want it. You actually have to want that inequity to be you know, more equal. You have to want this playing field to actually be leveled out more. It actually has to matter to you. And whether or not you want to say that the people involved with the league are inherently racist or not is, I mean, it matters. It's, it's but, it, but it's also, I was going to say, it's also in some ways beside mm-hmm. the point. Because they could be incredibly well-meaning people, but if it doesn't matter to them ultimately to fix these inequities, then then they won't get fixed. Like and the, that's, the first that's, step is caring. That's what I think. That's what I think. The message of of that that leak about giving guys third round picks <laughs> for hiring a black GM. It's like, though, these dudes literally need to be dragged, kicking mm-hmm. and screaming, right. into doing. This thing that is so obviously right. the right thing to do, right? Like, and, and I also like the one. And if you keep him for like two years, you get an even better draft pick. <laughs> if you don't fire him, you can get a better draft pick. It's like, but oh my too, god! But things also too that could benefit your team, like that that wider diversity of experience, and you know things like that can actually help your team. Well, it's, but then that's you're, that's the thing, Andy. Yeah. Like they need to be tricked into helping themselves. Yes. Like these homies really think they're gonna be doing some sympathy, or you know, black people always associate welfare with black people. So it's like this is like some type of NFL welfare program. That's what it's being, yes, basically pitched as, you know. And and these dudes, like, and I can tell this 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 enticement probably came from the Goodell camp and it got leaked by some ownership group who's like, fuck this idea, right? It's like, look, we left you guys to your own devices to do this thing one way. Here's an enticement. You guys usually react to enticements. And it's, it's just, just like, it's, what? It's, 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 what's funny is like, it's, 
It's it's a terrible idea. I mean, it's and horrible. The, the, opt, the optics, <laughs> even the NFL is recognized like this is just not going to play well. <laughs> but like what it is, it's not that people don't necessarily care. Like if you ask the owners, do you want a diverse organization? Do you want the the best people possible for your organization on the sidelines? Whatever. Do you care if you have a black head coach? I think most of them would like and thinking at least that they're being honest would say, yeah, I don't. Yeah, if a black offensive coordinator makes my team better, great. Of course. The problem is you have to you have to care enough to actually follow through, not just this year, right, but also next year and the year after. And then when when somebody says, "Hey, we can get John Gruden, or we can get Bill Cowher, or we can get this guy who just got fired, and we have access to this dude who's like a real," to actually say, "Well, wait a minute, are we? This is great. Like, I love this guy, and like we could miss him, but are we really looking for all the talent that's available?" We have to go through the process. You have to care this about year, it as, next year, the year after, the year after, the year you have after. You to care to about it as caring. more than a theoretical. Right. Like more than something like, you know, on paper. I, sure. I'm sure all of the, I, if not all, I mean, there's the one former. No, there's, there are some guys. There's a few. I'm sure there's a few that like, I think nope, actually. Don't want a black guy as my head <laughs> nope. coach. I'm pretty good with the old boys club. Thank black you very quarterback? much. No. But, <laughs> but I'm willing to give some owners the benefit of the doubt that they are not offended on any level by this. But there's a difference between not being offended and actually caring enough to do something. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a huge gap there. And until and I, that gap gets shrunk, the NFL is just going to be running in circles. Yeah. And I think part of the problem in the NFL or not even just the NFL, just the general ownership class, the billionaire class or whatever, is that this notion of deserve, they don't believe in it at all. Like, they don't believe in a concept that like, all right, we're, you know, we make a lot of money off of the talents, um, basically exploiting the talents of black people. Um, we should, you know, pay it forward. Like, that, that concept doesn't ring for them because they're like, I earned everything I got or I took it. Right. Like this concept like of that somebody should be given something. They just they whether it's true or not, that's clearly their worldview. Some people earned it. Some people earned it by being really smart. Some people earned it by being born at the right time. Some people made one great (laughs) business decision. Like I said, I don't begrudge any of that as long as the rules are fair. And that's they're not clearly where I think we run into problems as a country is we ascribe qualities to rich people that they don't necessarily have Mark, if you're rich you know, you're competent period at everything, Acro- at everything. across the board right exactly. like there are guys like the guys who own the philadelphia 76ers i do not doubt are great knowledgeable dudes at hedge funds right like that's you can make that much money right like something you're doing makes you you're smart like you you're good at that i will grant you you are good at that but like then we turn around and say that guy has an opinion on global warming or running for president or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, no, <laughs> just because you are really good at making money in this one spot does not right. mean that you are qualified to run the federal government or whatever. Like those are separate skills. And we, uh, we give these sort of magic powers to rich people that they don't deserve. And too many of them buy into that same thinking yeah. because i am good at this i am qualified to do that i'm not just talking about you know left or right i mean there are plenty of people on the right to do this but you know why was tom steyer running for president because he could afford to and he thinks he's qualified to do it 
And he's like, really, you know, he is some, you know, a lot of people that great, interesting well, Mike on the environment. It's Mike like, Bloomberg. Uh, Interestingly, he's good at running a business. At least Mike Bloomberg was the mayor of a city. Right. Like, where did these other guys come <laughs> right, from? It's like, right. you know, but he got to be mayor of a city because he was rich. Yeah. And yeah. so like, it just, that's, that's a part of this sort of, and that's an American problem as much as it is, you know, a, a basketball problem or a labor problem or or a, a, a race problem or whatever it is. Like, that's something that's weird about it. But I don't, maybe they do this in, you know, Belgium. I don't know, but they do it here and it drives me nuts. Yeah. Uh, l- let me ask you guys both a question, like sw- swinging it back to the issue of player empowerment and, you know, uh, a, a pretty big part of this movie because it's a question that I've gone back and forth on with Ray and, you know, the, the, the whole scheme that he ultimately ends up uh, orchestrating, in particular involving his client, Eric Scott, who is ultimately an unwilling party in all of this. Yeah. Ray is very into the idea of player empowerment. He tries to, you know, drive this home with Eric Scott, ultimately decides Eric Scott is not the guy who would ultimately be an athlete to get out in front of this. You know, Ray, uh, but that this is the messaging of Ray. Is Ray truly, though, a proponent of player empowerment if he's willing to make them pawns as well? I, I mean, that's a very, it's, it's tough. I think... Because he totally did that. Yeah, no, he definitely just, or he just basically made this guy a show pony. It was a dog and pony show. He did, but, well, finish your answer, and then I'll. I'll, It it was definitely a dog and pony show, but I think ultimately, um, this is what the guys want. (laughs) Like, he got a result that the guys ultimately wanted, which is what I think is important, right? Like, the players themselves wanted to be back on the court, wanted to get back to making money. So ultimately, I think the players were empowered here in the sense that they got what they wanted in the end, right? Like it's like the sentiment was like, guys want to play, whether it's rookies or whoever. That's what it felt like in the movie. But we didn't get the point of view of, they said it at like a passing glance, like the Currys and the Durants of the world, they're taken care of. They're yeah. good. Um, it's, you know, so I think he did what the guys wanted. That's what it felt like. I don't well, know about here's, you guys. here's my answer to that, Andy. He, he, what he would say, and I think if you ask this question to a uh, fictional character, Ray Burke, what he would say is I had to do the thing to get him to understand without doing the yeah. thing. He doesn't get the message. And remember, what does he do after, um, or at least with a little bit of help, what is he able, what is he exposed to at the end of the movie? It's the Bible, and the Bible isn't the Bible. Uh, you know, at the beginning, the first scene of the movie, Ray hands Eric a sealed envelope from the agency, and he says, "You know, what's inside this? It's the Bible. What, you know, don't you'll know when it's time to open it up." And the uh, and the end of the movie is when he opens it up, and it's the the Bible isn't the Bible. He didn't even book. open it up. <laughs> Sam right. as he beats opened it up. Right. He, had his he didn't even open it up himself. Like, but, left to his own devices, he may have never known not, the right time but, to open it but, up. But. Eventually, the message gets him, and the Bible is the Revolt of the Black Athlete by Harry Edwards, the the book he wrote in 1969. Um, and so, I think what he would say is, Eric is a person who you needed to be shown the thing and shown the demonstration of influence and power before he could do it. Um, and that is the answer I think he would say. 
That's interesting, but it it's doesn't change. It, I was going to say it doesn't change the fact that the same players that Ray Burke talks about empowering, and I believe he is sincere in wanting to empower, he's not above using as pawns the same type of pawns that he tells these guys don't be. So that I mean, if nothing else, that is complicated. It is. It is. Um, I mean, and I think it shows just how at the end of the day, everybody is a part of this system because living outside the system in blank is damn near impossible. It just is. That's interesting. I'd yeah, you, you, I think that's, <laughs> to me, that's, that's the, the difficulty in, and I don't want to, I don't want to throw my Karl Marx hat on, but like. Do it. <laughs> do like, it. How many hats do you have? You got, you, got, you got your Teamsters hat. You got your Karl Marx hat. You are a chapeau laden man. But, but listen, but that's the, you know, once you live in this, once you op- live within the system, you have to operate within it. Right. Like there's no way to do this some, you know, some in some utopic way. Like you have to use the same mechanisms that the money uses against the money. And sometimes people are going to be made pawns. That's just how it goes. Like that's literally there's no other way to make this happen. You know, like that's just that's what, that's the what you're talking about here. Remember I, I, when I mentioned before, like. Those like everybody experiences the system in a different way. Well, yeah, I grew up in suburban St. Louis, went to you know prep school, went to college, didn't graduate with a lot of debt. Like all these things, like my my life experience, my just life experience is different than a lot of other people. And you know that before you even start talking about you know racial disparities and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I think one of the things you know I mentioned before, it's like I I don't engage in the system work-wise in ways that kind of put me, you know, out of my comfort zone in terms of, uh, you know, racially, you know, uh, class-wise, whatever. Like, I don't have to step outside that very often. I think what he's trying to tell these guys is you don't have to experience the system in the way that you think you do. And like, you know, Andy, you, you mentioned that quote, just a slight shift screws everything up. Like shift it just a little bit and these you guys can experience, hate shift. you can experience the system yep. differently. You can change what the system is yep. and all of a sudden make those guys yep. uncomfortable. Yep. And those guys have to change what they're doing. And those guys have to adjust to you in sure. ways that now the system, at least certainly in sports and in the NBA, the system has adjusted to LeBron James. The system has adjusted to Kevin Durant and some of these other guys. Um, so I think that's what, like, is sort of an ends justify the means in 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 the in the in the thing that you're talking about, Andy, in terms of that question. Yeah, and and that is a fair interpretation of it. But it is different though when you're the guy in the case of Eric Scott actually being the pawn. Yeah. And you're right. If Ray Burke is wrong. If it turns out he can't solve a lockout in 72 hours, no, it, just it's, hypothetically, it's let's, let's just say that for the sake of argument, that would be difficult to do. Which was a thing that I was going like, in, in really? 72 hours, then really? his client is left out high and dry. Right. So I'm just saying, I mean, there's, there's a risk involved in yeah. what Ray Burke is doing that 100%. involves an unwilling, uh, not just an unwilling party, but an unwilling party that has put his career in this guy's hands as his agent and representation. Yeah. So it is complicated. It is. Uh, but you know what's not complicated, guys? The idea that smelling good is important. 
Oh, that's uncomplicated. That it is, is uncomplicated. I mean, well, you no would you would that. you wouldn't disagree with that, right? I mean, smelling no, 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 good. No, no. You got to smell good. You got to smell good to look good to feel good. It smells. It's like and and Hawthorne. Hawthorne smells really good. Yeah. Not just regular good, really good. And getting Hawthorne cologne is super super easy. Father's Day coming up. You know, we all have fathers, father figures. Yep. Brothers, you know, grandfathers. <laughs> and uncles. it's always awkward to tell them they don't smell good. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's always difficult to broach that subject. But if you present it in the form of Hawthorne, they're going to love it so much, they're not even going to get the right. subtext. And it's fun. And like how you get yourself some Hawthorne. You get it for yourself so you smell good. And now you can, you know, when you're mixing in with all these, uh, when you're part of the system, the system <laughs> demands that you smell good. <laughs> and yes. one of the ways you do this. You, you you personalize this thing to yourself. You take a two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the colognes that are best for you. One for work when you're in the system, and one for play when you're outside it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's risk-free, free shipping, free returns. Uh, you take this thing, you get yourself a couple of colognes. Uh, check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E. And .co, not .com. Don't go to Hawthorne.com. It's something totally different. Probably in the uh, city of Hawthorne. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E. And .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use uh, our promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Anyway, I just felt like getting that off my chest. I thought it was important. I love it. I just got my Hawthorne in the mail this, this past you? week. Yes. Uh, the body wash is incredible. I, 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 for my quiz or whatever, I put an emphasis on exfoliation. And so the soap that they sent me, because they customize it based on the survey that you take. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the body wash they sent me has worked perfectly. Um, they asked, like, for the colognes, um, they asked me what scents I've used in the past. Of course, uh, I lied and said that I'd used nothing but the best Chanel's and YSL's. And they sent me a version of whatever that concoction was. And um, I actually wore it two, ni- two, two days ago to, um, to go see my, my, my girlfriend's nephews. And um, yeah, I smelled incredible. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm really happy about now, the whole Let me ask you a question, Was Did you use the one for work? Or did you use the one for play? play. I went for play. <laughs> I did the play. I did the play. It, the outside the system cologne. Yes, right. yes it's sir. The, it's the party on. It's the business on the top, party on the bottom version of colognes. Yes, sir. Um, so uh, all right, well, that 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 was fun. I I love mid roll reads, <laughs> working them in there. <laughs> um, before we get to the, like what we think of the movie and we count the rings, um, and any trivia, I do not have a lot of trivia for this movie. We used a lot of it up at the beginning. Uh, most of my trivia. Um, so we'll see. I want to talk about the performances because while I have some issues with the plotting of the movie and the way things kind of work out the way they do, yep. this was one of the most universally well-acted movies yeah. that I've seen in a while. Like pretty much every performance is nails. Yeah. Um, Andre Holland, obviously, he's the star of the movie. And he and he kills it. But my second favorite performance is um, Amira Umber, the parent agent oh, lady. The mom? Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness! Uh, of Eric Scott's rival. Yes. 
who she, also is his teammate in New York. And I want to make sure we get to that. But anyway, yes, continue. She is just like the part where he go visits her in Philadelphia and she is just killing this guy. And like, and another thing that that made me think of, um, remember there was all this chatter coming out of the NFL draft where people felt like it was a bunch of black tragedy porn. It's like, oh, this one guy's dad died in Vietnam and he somehow managed to learn how to read and all. And it's like, it was just, it was just story after story after story of that. And people felt a way about it, right? Um, and I think this lady serves as like the other side of that. Right. Like, no, like not everybody comes from a broken home and what, you know, didn't have food to eat or whatever. Like this well, lady seems so hyper competent at parenting and agenting. Right. It's amazing. Well, what, what I thought was funny about it was like the first, and I watched it twice. The first watch through my, one of my big problems was like, well, wait a minute, what's he doing showing up at her door with this pitch? Because he knows their situation. He knows their background. He knows that, like the idea that he would be shocked that they're not some poor family. First of all, when just when you get off the train, you're like, well, I'm in a different neighborhood. I should recalibrate my pitch. Like he would right. think of that on the way in there. And then you once you sort of see it and you go through it and all that, and by now, I guess there are no spoiler alerts. I mean, for a 2019 right. movie, we probably should have been more sensitive to that. You realize not only was, okay, well, that's part of the plan, but also he hooked her too. Yep. Like he played her to get 100%. her to show up at this thing and do all this stuff and 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 doing it that way she is hyper competent she's all these things but he knew the avenue to tick her off like of course he goes through the thing like you know she's sitting there with this you know his social media she's the one sending all the tweets like you're arguing yes, with mom you're not arguing with him <laughs> but like the, so the second time through i was like oh okay i misunderstood that and wait a minute, but yeah, she is. She's like really. Th this is scary. a real. That is a very scary performance by uh, by that lady. This is a real watch it two times movie. Yeah, yeah. Because like 100%. even acknowledging that the machinations in real life don't work, there if you they're still clever and mm -hmm. figuring out everything that's going on. And like you said at the beginning, was it's very Soderberghian in, in like those type of twists, and you know, like this happened. 48 hours ago. This happened 24 hours. Stuff, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's very Soderberghian in the it's, way it's, it's like contagion. You mentioned contagion at the beginning. Like everything is like the, a clock moving around. It, I thought it was weird when Soderbergh described this as his companion piece to contagion. Uh, but yeah, here we are. <laughs> um, like Zazie Beats, we mentioned her before. She, she's, I mean, she's a really good actress. Yeah. And like I was thinking about like the supporting cast for Atlanta, you know, between her, Lakeith Stanfield, and, and Brian Tyree Henry. Like I don't. It. I don't count Donald Glover because he was established. Yeah, he name. was already killing it, the, killing it in life. This cast is going. That cast for Atlanta is going to go down as like one of the great launching pad TV shows. It's going like to be like Freaks, like Freaks and Pops, Geeks. It's going to be like Cop Pops coaching tree. I mean, it's yeah, just like, going to go yeah. on forever. Freaks and Geeks or The Wire or Cheers, you know, or like a movie like Days and Confused, where everybody ends up with a really, really good career and this like confluence of largely unknown talent. Yep. And, you know, that role with a lesser actress would not have been nearly as interesting. No. And, and she's really good. Although I do have to say, the minute it is known that she is a players rep, or she's in the Players Association, who is dating a player, 
She just lost her job. Yeah, 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 it's over. It's over. (laughs) It's over. Just lost her job. (laughs) And I think she'll just cut it off. Like she is what I she is the exact, I think, like when when people who aren't millennials talk about millennials, they talk about them as avocado toast eating lazy people. Statistically speaking, they're exactly the opposite. They are hyper motivated. Like, you know, super like they put because they've all worked like 19 different jobs just to kind of, you know, keep things going and whatever. Like she is like this super millennial, (laughs) like really smart, you know, very clever, sees things like sees the big picture, you know, gets out there, does it like. Like I I was I was remarkably impressed with the with the character, with the performance and also kind of like I bought all of it. I bought that she would sleep with Eric. I bought that she would jump from the agency to the players rep. And I bought that she has a vision to, yeah, and in 15 years, I'm going to be running this thing. Like, I I bought all of it. it all of re- it. And, and I just, you know, so that part of it. I also, cool. I also like Melvin Gregg, who played Eric Scott. I thought he was really yeah. natural. I, I, I really liked his presence. I read a little bit about him. Like, you know, he apparently gained recognition and enter the consciousness as a vine performer and through instagram and built up this huge following yeah i remember him i remember him on vine actually i was you know what's so funny watching this i'm like where do i know this kid from but i do remember him on vine yeah, that is but i sense. think it's sort that of is like a an, sense you will never hear come out of my mouth but i think it's kind of an interesting <laughs> meta commentary on you know social media because social media plays such a pivotal role in helping end the lockout in this movie also, right. shout out to Melvin, uh, Greg, and compliments for how great he's aging because he is way too old for that role. He's almost yeah. 32 now. No. <laughs> yes. He is almost 32, which means I'm he was like, wow. He was like I'm 28 or 29 sure when he made this movie. He's one of the high school kids in um, Drunk Coach Carter, Ben Affleck movie. Yeah, he's one of the high school players. Dude, that's he's a, like in, in the Ben That is Affleck a mix. Movie. He totally looks like, I totally buy him as a rookie. No, he's supposed to be like a one and done. In reality, he's Andre Ingram, <laughs> like in terms of where he is chronologically as a rookie. That is amazing. That is amazing. Uh, but he's very good. good. He does like, a really it's good like job. We did, we did Any Given Sunday, or not Any Given, uh, 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 he got game like a couple weeks ago. And like when, when Jesus gets to uh, big tech, um, or yeah, it's big tech, right? Is it tech yeah. you? Right, I, I get him the, the, the generic tech names you. of the universe. Tech you, and and he's being walked around by Rick Fox. Like Rick Fox looks like he's like seven years too old to be in college at that right. point. Right, yeah, he looks like a super senior. Right, even sure. then, he, I mean, he was like in his late 20s. Like I had no idea that this guy was that old. I just assumed he was like in his early 20s. Yeah, good for him. What did you guys think of the player sort of vignettes? Um, I enjoyed them except for Carl Towns. I just he comes off as so practiced and rehearsed. Yeah, like I, I got to be honest, I didn't think they were necessary. Right, I, I, for sure. I, I could have done without them. Interesting factoid: I learned that is one of the few things for trivia that I had in there. Soderbergh had been at one point attached to Moneyball. And he wow. was going to do that sort of thing in Moneyball, but obviously he eventually uh, it didn't work out with him. But I, he had, I guess, planned on doing a similar thing involving baseball players. Yeah, I, I you know, I, it's it's interesting to listen. It's always interesting to listen to NBA guys talk about their lives because mm-hmm. it's so alien from ours. Like this. 
literally nothing. We have nothing in common with these dudes as far as like how their lives function. So I'm always interested in hearing them talk about it. And I think this was just like, we can get NBA players on the record. So let's find a uh, creative way to splice them in. But like I said, Carl Towns was just killing Yeah, me. I mean, that. No, <laughs> it was I will me. say, it made me leave going. I'm not a big fan of Reggie Jackson, the basketball player, but I, think I, I like wanna, hearing him talk. I want to sit and talk to Reggie. Like Reggie Same. Jackson seems like the kind of person that if I had a two-hour conversation with, that would be two hours of real talk. Yeah, like seriously. I would be interested in that. I I had this a similar feeling, and uh, I I love Bill Duke in this movie. He's always great. He's always yeah. great. Um, I love the mechanism of every time you know somebody compares basketball to slavery, right? Right. <laughs> uh, like you know they're going through that stuff. It just he is so delightfully old school. Yep. In this movie, um, and it's such a well done character. The only thing that I, the only performance that I didn't love, and there's a caveat to that was Sonia Stone. And it's for me, it's because of the way it was. I think it was the way it was directed and the way it was edited, where I felt like her dialogue got. She needed to be picked up a little bit. The movie is very deliberate mm. in terms of a lot of the dialogue and how it's delivered, and I think it hurt her performance. Like the actual line deliveries were good. It's just like there's banter, 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 banter throughout the movie, and then like for some reason the movies, uh, the, the scenes with her in it, slowed down. Like they. Right. they the the dialogue slowed down. I didn't think it was her fault, but she's great, and so I want I I I never want to. Yeah, she has so much like presence on mm -hmm. screen. Like there's something I don't know. I'm I'm very drawn to her whenever she's on the actual screen. That's why I might have missed the the dialogue part. It's just like yo, this is like this is such a cool character, right? Yep. Like this really powerful woman in this like male dominated arena and her disposition of like oh these people are so full of shit it's I, I you know i was very drawn to that um other anything else on the, the performance list before we get to uh some of the other stuff no no all right I mean and covered I, them all and they're good I, I so when you got i mean timelessness it's the movie's been out for a year i think the issues that this movie raises are timeless. The movie itself, yeah. I'm really interested to see if it develops kind of a like a pop culture currency down the road, right? Because um, both because of the topicality of the movie, but also because of the idea of like Netflix movies, not Netflix Netflix shows, right? But like movies that produce for Netflix, getting that like cult following, and that tends to happen more to comedies than to dramas like this one, but. I don't know how many people saw this movie. I think it's really hard to tell with Netflix anyway, but that would be the yeah. thing I'm curious about. Like, how many people discover this movie in four years? Yeah, who knows? That's a, know. that's a great question. Like I said, for me, it's like Soderbergh's making a movie about the league. <laughs> I had to watch this, mm -hmm. you know, like when it, when it came out. And then when I watched it, I just remember thinking to myself, like, again, like not to belabor the point, but like these themes are very black. Like, just really, like, things that black people talk about amongst themselves all the time, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, the especially when it comes to, like, you know, <laughs> the comparing athletes to modern slaves and, like, all of this shit. I'm just like, wow, like, oh, it, it's it, it, It's an unapologetically black movie. It's yeah. crazy. Like, it's crazy. That's, that's why I was drawn to it. And I hadn't watched it since it came out. And I don't know why I was thinking about this movie when you guys um, asked me. And I was like, yo, I think it would be cool to talk to you guys about this. Because I remember when I watched it, 
being very moved by it because of the themes. But I think because of those, those themes are so topical and I don't think they're going to be solved anytime soon. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think the issues uh, of race in America. We've all got a little extra time during the pandemic. <laughs> I'm pretty confident by the time this podcast runs, Walls, it's all going to be handled. Right, I, mean, I, I feel we good. We have fixed racism in America. Give it, give it 24 hours. I think we're going to be all right. Um, as far as timelessness, I, I think in some ways you have to predict what could be. And well, sure. I, I think one thing is just sort of how this movie is kind of like a meta commentary on delivery systems. Like, you know, this being a Netflix movie, there's ne- yep. mention of them trying to get a Netflix streaming deal between, yep. you know, like these players <laughs> yeah. who are currently locked out. And, you know, for the studio system, Netflix, it's mainstream among audience and even the the talent but it's still considered a disruptor in the actual industry. 100%. Like yep. the actual industry does not like Netflix. There's a lot of yep. resentment against them. Like it's a meta commentary in term of, terms of the way the movie was made with an iPhone. So good, yep. And, you know, iPhones created the viral moment in this movie that ends up putting a lot of things in motion. And also, too, I think it's kind of like a meta commentary on Soderbergh's own career. Because he's always been about experimentation. Always and working outside, mm-hmm. around yeah, and outside he, the system. And, but but he's gone in and out between yep. the studio system being independent at one point, yep. disliking it enough that he said he was going to quit, then coming <laughs> back into it, having a big, big hit with Magic Mike. You know, he's gone these idiosyncratic ways. He put out a movie, Lucky Logan, trying to do it without a studio at all, and it didn't work. And he even yep. said, like, it, the studios were right about it. Just didn't work. They, well, it's, they, it's, I was wrong. It, everything right. is. I we want, you know. I, look, the demo, I mean, It's not a political show, but like the, the 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 things that we saw like during the Democratic primary. There are people in the world who want like massive shifts. They want revolution. They want things to turn like one eighty or like lurch for whatever whatever metaphor you want to use or what. We don't live in that kind of world. We live. We have a, a government that is structurally created purposefully for incremental change. We have a, an economic system that is very difficult to change radically on a dime. We have, you know, the studio systems. We have we, all of these systems are very difficult to, to crack and tear down and just build right back up and have that revolution. And so that's one of the, the themes of this movie is like it's not. It's not about tearing it down. It's about tweaking it in ways that all of a sudden the context is just different. The Harlem Globetrotters are threatening the game, so we have to let black people in. The, you know, just the threat of just a slightly different delivery system. And now all of a sudden people panic and you have exercise power in ways that bring it to you. Like that's another one of these these messages, you know, at least that I'm taking out of it is like you don't necessarily need revolution with a capital R and all the rest of the letters capitalized to create significant change. Like you said, one small Mm -hmm. shift to the ecosystem and everything all messed up. Right. Um, Do you have more? There's a couple couple things that are, as far as timeless, Uh um, right off the bat, you know, it's established that Eric plays for the New York team and this is presumably the Knicks. Yeah. And in terms of things that are timeless, the Knicks have already set themselves up with a future that doesn't work because they have two <laughs> rookies who have not even taken the court yet as teammates. They have not shared a locker room. It's not even clear that they had met they before the contract. contract yet. 
Right, before yeah. the conflict presented in this movie, and they already can't stand each other. So the Knicks have already, they already have a fire on their hands during a lockout between players who don't even know each other, and it's perfect. That is yeah, this, perfect. This is almost as bad as that time Derek Fisher Snapchatted Clee Anthony Early's girl <laughs> for no reason. Right? Just, it was just... Just no reason for that, man. Wow. What a great name that was. I remember Clay Anthony early. Yeah. Wow. God bless. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree with you guys, though, man. Like, I think the themes of this movie will live on. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know about, you know, the concept of making a movie on your iPhone or where Netflix movies go. Like, it, fe- like it feels like Netflix is inevitable. It's one of those things where oh, it's Netflix feels Thanos. like this upstart. <laughs> but, yeah, they feel inevitable. Like, it feels like everything is well, going, going anywhere. This, this direction, you know? So... Yeah, That's I just so cool. it, it, it is one of those things to think about because, like, you know, it's obviously it's too early to call it. Like, what develops into a cult classic? What doesn't? You know, how many people will revisit this movie in a long time? But um, it will it will certainly go down as a well reviewed and well acted and well made movie. Which brings us to our final thing. It is ultimately a sports podcast, which means we have to count the rings. Um, that's how we grade these these movies one to ten. How many rings do you give? High flying bird. We'll start with you, Waz. I'm gonna give it eight and a half, man. Like Ooh. this movie is high up there for me. Like just the dialogue alone. Like he, listening to these people talk. Like all of those, all, every single scene between Bill Duke and um, Andre Holland. Like it's money. The, the 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 dialogue in between is just incredible to me. That and of course the acting performances. And again, like this is stuff that I'm thinking about all the time. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm gonna watch this movie a bunch of times because I'm always thinking about this stuff. So it's eight and a half. Like if Anchorman is a ten, <laughs> this is an eight and a half. This is is Anchorman a, eight and a, a ten though? Uh, and, and for me, it's a ten. For me, it's a ten. For me, it's a ten. I'm gonna I'm gonna give watch it an eight. as I step around that rabbit hole. Hold on, <laughs> yeah, no, stop. Don't have time for this. I'm gonna give it an eight. Like I think the plot points are too they're too convenient and a little too far-fetched you know especially over such a short period of time to move it into like a nine territory but it is really well acted it's very very thought-provoking and i really enjoyed it so eight rings for me i gave it a about a six-ish the first time i watched it because i was i was i think i was watching the wrong stuff Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second time I agree with you guys, it's more like an eight. Like there are a couple things plot wise that I decided to just to go ahead and ignore. And there was certain things about like Ray's character. There's the, the subplot with like his cousin that, and like, I, I guess, yeah, like, that was never really, that None, never it doesn't really, really amount to much and it's yeah, sort of yeah, not necessary, was... but you know what it is quick. Like right. there's very, like the things that don't work great in the movie in terms of the scripting, in terms of the plotting, whatever. Nobody's wasting any time with anything. Like, you know, you don't like the 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 character thing about his cousin. Great. They spend maybe <laughs> three minutes of the movie on it. It's just this factor that I don't get and when it doesn't need to be there. You know, about the only thing that you could say is a waste is the time that they spend with the, the NBA players. And even that probably amounts to four minutes when you put it all together. So it's it's a tight like hour 40. Uh, it's well acted. It's well directed. And it's very, as you can tell, 
thought-provoking. Like it's one of these movies that even if you don't love every aspect of the movie, it opens up so many points of conversation in a really authentic and well-done way that I agree with you guys. I'm putting it at an eight. So a solid average of eight for High Flying Bird. Go out and see it, people. Because yeah, a lot a of movie. you didn't, like me. And some of you may not have even really heard of it, like me. And it's a good movie. And it won't take up that much of your time. It's a pandemic. What else, how else you do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. And I, it's a I'm holiday weekend. Yeah. Well, the weekend is technically over, I guess. Yeah. But it, every week now is both a, a holiday hot- weekend <laughs> and a non-holiday weekend. It's ironically all the same damn thing. I mean, not that we, we were not the kind of people who like head out to the big popular places on holiday weekends anyway, but like in theory, we could go out somewhere, but I'm, I'm, I'm so scared of like everybody just being like, it's Memorial Day weekend and we're going out. Whoa. Like, I am not, I, I'm like, I'm afraid to leave the house today. Like, maybe I'll, the beaches are open in California again. Like, maybe we'll go I, like Tuesday. I think I'm only not going on Monday. Like Ventura is open. Um, yeah, I think they're rela- like, they're, the rules are like, you can't sunbathe. I got two kids, they're not sunbathing. Right. But my, my boys, you know, and the baby, the baby is probably not going to go. But like, you know, point being, all they want to do is run around the ocean. Like we don't need to set up umbrellas and blankets and all these. Other, like it's fine. Just go play. In a, but I'm doing that during the week. I'm not going on Memorial Day because I'm afraid of the people. <laughs> so um, anywho, thanks so Love much you. for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. This is awesome, man. Thank you. No problem, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'll be back anytime you ask me, guys. And Very plug good. whatever you got. Plug anything you got. What do you got? Oh, plug it all. man. Just listen. Make sure you subscribe to the Back to Back podcast. There's me, Zach Harper, Dave DeFore, Mo Doc Hill, um, a host of other characters from The Athletic, which I think is the best NBA coverage out there. I might be biased, but that doesn't mean I'm not right. Because um, you can be, be both. You right. know, like people forget that. Um, and yeah, listen, make sure you listen to Hoops to Jason with me and the Hall of Famer, uh, David Aldridge. And I write for the for the company a lot less now than I was when there was actual basketball. Well, to talk also, about. too, you're doing 73 podcasts. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, but um, yeah, just make sure you check those out. Um, follow me on, on Twitter. Yeah, Big Waz. Big Yes, at Big Waz on Twitter, B-I-G-W-O-S on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Right. It's, it's uniform. Big, Very easy to big remember. Big W-O-Z is someone else entirely. Don't follow that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. <laughs>